Buffs Nation. What's going on? Welcome back into the Buffs Nation podcast. Buffs losing on the road, 52-29. Colorado falls to 2-6 and six on the 2021 campaign. Today, we'll talk about CU, what went wrong against Oregon. Are there changes? Does the offensive line look better? Are these changes that we're hearing about behind the scenes from uh, Carl Durrell, are they working? Is that what we need? And then, of course, we'll preview the Oregon State game coming up this weekend. Oregon State taking on Colorado, 5 o'clock on a Saturday. And to a lot of people, this is the last game that CU has a chance of winning. So we'll cover all that on today's show. Uh, to my right, my co-host, Jared All. Jared, what's going on? Uh, not a lot, Tyler. And uh, you have a lot of optimism going up against a team that's, what, 5-3 and three <laughs> hey, right I said, now, so. what, what were my words just now? Did I say the most winnable game? Because that's what may, I should have said. I think maybe the last one will win. The last one? Well, <laughs> if, 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 let's not talk uncertainties here. I think yeah. Oregon State's a pretty hefty favorite on the road. But this is the last game, looking at the schedule, where you would say CU's got a shot of, of taking Well, and it. I know it was a pretty big loss still on, on the score sheet uh, to the Ducks, but I actually came away from this game slightly encouraged from one of the, some of the things that uh, I saw in this game. And that's what I want to talk about, is because I'm reading articles, I'm reading posts, and I... Don't want to be negative. I feel like <laughs> I feel like for fans who haven't listened to our show before and they just started this year, they're like, boy, that Tyler is pretty cynical about his team. And I feel like that's the case this season. And I'll admit, maybe I've been a little more, a little tougher on the buffs than some people, but it's all about what expectations should be and what fair expectations should be. And I've talked about this in life. We don't have to get all deep with this. Uh, I have to go all therapist chair, but I've always said this. You're at your reaction in life whether it's getting a job, whether it's your son or daughter getting grades in school, whether it's your football team winning or losing, all of our reactions in life are based off of our expectations. If we have a son or daughter that's gotten straight A's and they come up with an F, well, that's a cause for concern. We weren't expecting it. If we have a son or daughter getting straight F's and they come up with that same F, it's not going to be cause for you celebration. You probably failed as a parent. Well, exactly. It's <laughs> not going to be cause for celebration, but... It's, it's status quo. You're not as shocked as you might be, right? If you expect to get a job, you don't get the call back, you don't get hired, it's disappointing. It can be a crushing blow. If you apply for a job, you think, yeah, it's 50-50, I may get it, may not, and you don't get it, usually not as big of a deal. So all of our reactions are based on expectations, okay? So I don't want to drive myself crazy because a lot of fans are saying, well, Tyler, what should your expect- your expectations be for the CU? We knew they weren't going to win the Pac-12. We knew you know, you're making this hard on yourself. But I firmly believe, if you look at Colorado's recruiting classes, what they did last year, the talent they have offensively and defensively, our expectation should have been at least to make a bowl game this year. We talked about it preseason. We talked about it to start the year. I think six wins could have been a very realistic goal for the Buffs. So my cynicism, my aggression, all this stuff about the, the Buffs, it just comes off of my expectations early in the year haven't been met, and they haven't even been close to being lived up to what my expectations were. So that's just personal. That's how I feel about it. Expectations differ person to person, and I understand that's going to be you know an individual thing. But what I'm reading a lot lately is, well, Brennan Lewis, look at his stat line, three touchdowns, finally threw the ball. I mean, what did he have, 200 in the air, 250 in the air? I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, 224 in the air, and... Uh, yeah, 224, three touchdowns, 25 of 33. The stat line looks good. I mean, I'll give him that. It looks good on the stat line. My only problem came, well, only problem, let, let, let's focus this in, because I don't want to get all over the place. CU had 12 yards when the score was 21 to 0. Oregon was up 21-0. Colorado had 12 offensive yards. 
we all play fantasy football. You know the term garbage time? I'm afraid what's happening here is Colorado's getting these stats and getting these numbers going in garbage time, and that's relating to the stat sheet, the box score, and things like that. That's what people are getting excited about, the fact that they finally put numbers up. Yeah, I, I definitely think in, in any time you look at a stat sheet at the end of the game, you do have to take some of those things with a grain of salt. But, yes, the bus went down 21 nothing early, and frankly, their defense looked bad without Nate Landon on the Nate Landman on the field. We'll, we'll talk about that as we keep moving forward in this game. But you look at the Buffs did bounce back a bit in that second half, put a couple of touchdowns up. And this was, I don't want to say it was a game, but a less uh, or, or, or a more optimistic offense. Some, uh, If you felt a little better about the offense, you might think going into half down 17, I, I think it was like 20... 28-13. 28-13 at, at that time... I think you have you would have a little bit of optimism of how you're playing against the number seven team in the country. So I think early enough I saw some good things. It's not necessarily about the stats. It was about the approach right. in this game. Getting the ball in their playmakers' hands. They used a lot of screens. It seemed like they came in with a game plan. Oregon's best strength on their defense was their pass rush. And they actually seemed like the Buffs came in with a game plan strategically put in place to neutralize what the defense does best. I think all year long, we've gone game after game watching the Buffs beat their head against a wall, doing things that aren't working. And I saw a different approach from this team that I think opened things up for Brendan Lewis and for this office and for Brendan Rice, who had a great game in this in this game. So correction, the halftime score was 31-14. Oregon had the lead there. Um, and I agree with what you're saying, Jared. And there has been improvement. I think you're blind if you're watching and you don't see the improvement on the field. My whole issue is that that shouldn't come as a surprise. You know, that, when the bar is set that low. Exactly. I mean, we should improve every week. Alabama improves every week. UConn, who's a terrible team, improves every week. Uh, Michigan improves every week. Freaking Michigan. Don't even say it. Don't even Michi- say it. Michigan State improves every week. I mean, and, and can I bring something up quickly? I was reading some articles, and we're talking about Mel Tucker, for those who aren't following, in, in Michigan State. Not a fan of Mel Tucker on the show. One of the most hated guys on, on Buffs Nation. You know, there's a really good chance he ends up at USC because right now the two top names in the coaching carousel are James Franklin, Mel Tucker, and James Franklin hired a agent who's notorious for dealing in the SEC. So I think that there's a I, very high chance Mel Tucker ends up at Mel our division. Mel Tucker is an idiot if he ends up at USC. Well, maybe, but I'm just saying, look for it. That yeah. could happen. Uh, Producer Ryan, how you doing today? How's uh, how's everything going? Good, Ty. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to touch on something you, you brought up about, you know, seeing things on social media about uh, what happened on Saturday with, with Colorado. And it's kind of something if, if the fans watch the game like I did, I think their views could be skewed a little bit because, you know, I go into this Oregon game knowing that they're not really going to have a chance, um, that – you know, if, when they get up 21 nothing, you kind of just start doing other things, you know, start working around the house, maybe doing some yard work and, you know, have have it on uh, on the radio. Um, and then you go and look afterwards at the stat line, and that's when you start saying, oh, wow, maybe they actually kind of put it together a little bit. And, and then that's when you start uh, maybe maybe a false sense of optimism there. Um but yeah, it's it's it, the way you put it as garbage time. I I think that's a great way to put it because it was garbage time from 
the end of the first quarter. Well, a lot of people think garbage time means fourth quarter when the exactly. game is over. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, especially in college, you see all the time, you go up two, three scores, things start opening up. The defense play, you know, they're rotating a little more. They're playing a little softer. Let's not give it all back in one play. So when Oregon goes into that, and they didn't go into a prevent, let's not be ridiculous, no. but they went into a, a two high consistently instead of one safety, sometimes playing to cover three, just making sure that if CU scores or if CU happens to put some points together, it doesn't happen in one play. Like, hey, they can score fine. Let's make them drive down the field. And that's just what CU did. They had two touchdown plays in the end of the first half. One, nine plays for 77 yards. The other, eight plays for 65 yards. Oregon making CU go downfield. And the buffs were taking what's underneath. Okay, that's fine. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Brendan Lewis, 225, whatever was in the air. A lot of those, I was looking again. I went back pretty much play by play. And you can get all this stuff on ESPN.com. But I went back play by play. And I was looking at all of his passes, all of his pass attempts. And even though his stat line looked pretty good, there were a lot of passes where Brady Russell or uh uh, Rice, uh, Brendan, uh, Brendan, Brendan Rice. Brendan Rice. I was going to call him uh, Jerry Rice. I seriously <laughs> want to go bad there. Between Rice and Russell, there were a lot of yards after catch. Now, unless yeah. you guys have found a yak stat in college football, and, they don't keep it. And here's the other thing, too. You look at their running backs. Alec Fontenot, two catches out of, out of the backfield. Deion Smith, two catches out of the backfield. Jarek Broussard, four catches out of the backfield. So they, And that's where I go back to what I was encouraged by was less – how Brendan Lewis actually played or how this offense actually played and more that they came in with approach an approach that seemed like it made sense. Wow, this team can get after the quarterback, get the ball out of his hands, yeah. get it to the running backs, get it to the tight ends, get it to the receiver on screen passes, and it was effective early on. They were getting a lot of yards on that. 100%. I think it was effective. I think it was positive. I think it's something to get excited about because the offense is doing something. All I'm saying is, let's pump the brake in terms of, oh, Brennan Lewis is, is going to be this quarterback we expected him to be. A lot of the damage is being done after the catch. That Brady Russell 28-yard catch, I think it was... Uh uh No, it was, uh, it, was a, it was a second down, but either way. 28-yard catch of Brady Russell. On paper, you go, huh, we're opening things up. We're going downfield. No, that was a six-yard pass that Brady Russell ended up running 22 yards after the catch. So a lot of these things are skewed, and I will give Pro Football Focus credit they don't advertise yards after catch numbers, but Pro Football Focus College, it's called PFF College. They, and we may have talked about this last week, but if you throw a ball, I think we did, and so I won't go too deep into it, but if you throw a ball 50 yards downfield and your receiver catches it, compared to you throw it a screen pass that goes 50 yards, those should be viewed as different things. And I'll look at a stat, right. adjusted yards per attempt. This season, adjusted yards per attempt, which means how far downfield is your quarterback throwing, a.k.a. difficulty of throw, Brendan Lewis is ranked 94th in the country. And when you take away adjusted yards per attempt, just look at pure yards per pass, Brendan Lewis is ranked 101st in the country. These are not statistics or, or areas you want to be in. I would much rather have Brendan Lewis throwing the ball downfield, taking his lumps, and learning on the fly. We're dealing right now with a coaching staff and a quarterback who are so freaking terrified to make a mistake, that's what shows up on the stat sheet. I see, okay, let me put it this way. Everyone else sees Brennan Lewis, seven touchdowns, three picks. Uh, maybe we got some more to go. I see, why are we letting this kid play? Why are we holding him back so nervously and tightly? Let him make some mistakes. That's the only way you learn. I related to Trevor Lawrence this year. Jacksonville does not look good in the NFL. Jacksonville looks horrible. But... 
According to the experts and the advanced data, Trevor Lawrence has taken mountainous steps every single week. And the reason is he's going downfield. Urban Meyer's asking him to throw the football, putting him in situations where they're not babying him. Oh, you can't let him get his feelings down. You can't let him get... uh, If he throws a pick, who knows what he's going to be like. Dude, you have to throw a pick. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Patrick Mahomes, they all throw interceptions. The whole idea of we're protecting Brennan Lewis from himself is nonsense. We're getting nowhere. We're going backwards at times during the season. And if you really believe, which I don't for a minute, that Brennan Lewis will be your quarterback of the future, I think this coaching staff is being is doing themselves a huge disservice. So I think a lot of this is, you're right, Jared, are we seeing a little bit of a spark? Yes. Is he completing more passes? Yes. Is he at least throwing the ball? Yes. But it's not things that I think is going to translate against good football teams over the long run. Oregon, by the way, good football team, good defense. Again, they're up 21 nothing before they're like, all right, they've gained 12 yards. I think we're not going to get our guys hurt today. So a lot of this needs to be contextualized. Well, and just to build off of that a little bit and to, to kind of feed into what you're saying about the garbage points. And I, I like I said, I think early on I was encouraged by some of what I saw just in the approach. But you look at when, when the Buffs' points happened and when Oregon's points happened, right? You mentioned that Oregon goes up 21 nothing. Then throughout the course of the second quarter, CU gets a couple of touchdowns, right? Brings it back to be somewhat of a game, somewhat competitive. Well, what does Oregon do coming out of halftime then? Boom. Two quick touchdowns, another 14 points. Buffs get nothing through that third quarter. The rest of their scoring all happens in the fourth quarter. So it's Oregon getting up big, maybe opening things up a little bit, maybe not as aggressive defensively. CU makes a little bit of a pushback. Oregon goes into the locker room, says, hey, guys, this is too close of a game. We need to buckle down. They come out in the third quarter, serious shut down the buffs, and that game was over by well, the time the buffs are starting to score in the fourth quarter. If you take the fourth quarter away, which is 25% of the game, you don't want to get a habit of doing this, you know, it's, it's 45-14. So that, I think, is what we should focus on, that it's not just the way that they're playing, which has been a cause for concern. It's that I don't think they're getting better at the pace they need to be getting better at. Now, let's talk about the firing of Mitch Rodriguez, their uh, offensive line coach. I heard a lot of talk about, hey, look, this is, this is what needed to be changed. But a lot of those issues, as you mentioned, Jared, were on the defensive side of the football. Now, Nate Lamel was out, but that can't be an excuse. I understand he's your best defensive player. But here's what happens is that gives an excuse now for Buffs fans who want to... I, I, I've used the analogy a lot, right? If your son or daughter is getting bad grades. If your if son or daughter didn't get a whole lot of sleep a couple nights before the test, you can, of course, you can use anything... As, oh, that's why they didn't do well. Oh, that's why they didn't do well. Oh, that's why they didn't do well. No, maybe it's because other things need to change. So that's my point. Is Nate Lamon a, a great player? Yeah. But what this does is this gives an excuse to Buff's apologists to say, well, Nate Lamon was out. It's okay. Let's just forget that ever happened and move on. I'm not willing to do that. And I think this defense needs to be much better. I look at this roster and... Let's even incorporate the linebackers. <laughs> this is a good defensive roster. That's why I believe that the problems go a lot deeper than offensive line or offensive line coach. I really do. I can't disagree. Or I, I can't. <laughs> I can't disagree with you at all. There. I. Uh, I do want to point out though. I think something that's kind of being glossed over a little bit through this discussion is Oregon is really good. I think they're a top three or four team in the country. I know they're ranked seven right now. They had that unfortunate loss early in the year, but they beat one of the best teams in Ohio State this year. 
I absolutely believe if Oregon gets a shot in the, the college football playoff, they're going to make some noise. I think they have a, a great opportunity to do big things this year. So I don't want to take away from that. That this no matter even a, a fully healthy buffs defense going against Oregon, I think it gets ugly. Even if Nate Lamon's on the field, I don't think that fixes all these problems. Right. But this just really goes to show you where CU is even within its own conference, that this defense looked so outmatched. It did not even look like it belonged on the same field with the athletes of Oregon's offense. And I don't want to be repetitive here, but I do go to the coaching staff, and I I don't think that I'm off in saying that we've got a good roster. Like I don't, I truly don't believe. You know, I keep struggling with that because I feel like coming into the season, I really believed in that. But what I see on the field on Saturday does not look like. But, well, then you, that usually goes to coaching. But sure, see, that's my point. Is and but we've also been around for a couple of years. This is a young team. It's not all freshmen. We've seen a lot of these guys play several years, and we know the capabilities. You look at the defensive line. You look at our defensive backs. I mean. We shouldn't be doing that poorly against Oregon or anybody. Now, you had a great point, Jared. It was Oregon. Let's not forget that. That's a big deal here. But I think a lot of this is coaching staff, and I think they tried to use the offensive line as a scapegoat. Sure, yeah. I mean, you could look at it that way. There's also a couple things specifically I wanted to talk about uh, during the game. Like, yes, Nate Landman wasn't there, and, and you don't want to rely on those excuses, but it's it's those it's those NFL-type plays that you get from Nate Landman that puts those guys around him in better positions. For instance, um, I, I, I'm sure a lot of people didn't get to watch the beginning of the game because that Michigan-Michigan State game ran a little long, so I didn't see the first touchdown. But in that first half, it was probably first and second quarter combined, um, 14 it – it ended up being 21 total points uh, came from third and long, two of which being touchdowns of – I think one was 30-plus yards and a touchdown run of 45-plus yards. And those are the types of plays that Nate Lamon takes away. And then to go to the offense, as far as youth goes, um, Fox did a great stat of giving all of the touches by Colorado receivers this year. And it was a combined – I think it was over f- seven or eight guys. They had a combined 51 receptions um, of throughout their wide receiving core. Oregon, one receiver alone had 137 career receptions. Wow! So that I mean, that's that's one guy on their roster. So it just goes to show you the youth. And yes, it is youth. I would be. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but senior day, I don't think we're going to see that many guys running out being seniors. Sure. And look, this is why I love doing this show with you guys. Sometimes you bring me back to reality. I can get on here. I'm yelling. I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Between Saturday when the games happen and uh, uh, Tuesdays when we record, we record a Tuesday afternoons. It's a uh, roller coaster, folks. Let me tell you, I'm, I, I'm usually along for the ride. I mean, yes, and I'm thinking about stuff. I'm going over, and I get a chance to kind of therapeutically talk about it on the podcast. And I am a, uh, I have higher expectations than a lot of Buffs fans, right? Yeah. And I think that a lot of our audience, actually, I don't know, I can't speak for that because we don't hear directly from a lot of our audience. You can just read social media, things like that. This isn't radio, but I would assume that there's a nice split. I think a lot of people hear me, and they go. You know, thank God someone else out there feels this way. I'm sitting about around a bunch of people who want to, you know, give CU, you know, medals for just trying. And then there's people who get upset. I understand that too. But there's people who love the buffs and unconditionally love the buffs. And there's nothing, you know, that could ever make them say the things I've said. I get that too. And I just want everyone to know I've been a buffs fan my entire life. I love the buffs. There's not a team in in, in sports that that I like more than the Colorado Buffaloes. They're my favorite team in the entire 
lexicon of sports. So maybe that's where it comes from, but sure. I just want to let everyone know out there, I care about this team. I want to see them win, and that's bottom line to me. If they're doing better, they're doing well, I'm okay with everything. Well, as fans, that's just that's the definition of frustration, and especially for the University of Colorado, these fans, us fans, have been going through this year after year after year, and when you're frustrated, you 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 have ideas of how to fix it, but you have no way to fix it right. yourself. And, and, and that's what that's, people get frustrated with. I think that's part of it too, is this has been happening out for a while. Like, yeah. This is just a one-off thing, you know, but last year gave us so much hope. It you did. know, we had a four and two year, went to the Alamo Bowl again. You started to see a little bit of that program momentum, which matters a ton. Because if you're new to the recruiting field, the way it works, you're recruiting kids who are 14, 15, 16. Yeah. You don't, you get kids to come to your school by being cool, by winning, and I mean, I think CU is a, a great place to be, and I think that when CU does make it on TV, I think they are actually a pretty like cool team. I think yeah. their their colors are cool. They have a good logo. I think it's easier best, for best mascot, great mascot. I think it's easy for people nationally to embrace CU when they are good, and when they're winning, and you bring these kids to Boulder, that's how recruiting happens. But it's consistency. You can't sure. have one year. What yeah. was it? Twenty sixteen now that we went to the Alamo Bowl. Was it? Yeah. I mean, we're to, that, that's getting further and further yep. every year. Yeah, and, there, uh, there's nobody left on these uh, this roster that you know, was a part of that, that team. <laughs> on Fox, I think it was this week or last week, they're showing highlights of a game that we played really close. I think it was the Cal game. They're showing CU Cal highlights from the last time we were up in uh, Berkeley, mm-hmm. and it was when Mike McIntyre was coach, and we lost 52-49 in overtime. Where have we gotten? Has Where have we gotten as CU fans to where I'm watching Mike McIntyre highlights going, Boy, it'd be great to have him the good back. Good old days. Uh, <laughs> the good old days of Mike McIntyre. I actually brought up yesterday, I was at my parents' house, and we were, we, you know, we always talk Buffs. My family's all huge Buffs fans. And, um, you know, the, a couple of years ago came up in our conversation. I'm just like, what's Coach Mac doing these right? days? Yeah, like, give him the call back. <laughs> and see, get, get him on the horn. But, Let's see what he's doing. And it's so funny how things just, you know, things change. I mean, they do. wins and losses change everything. And... I was up on Carl Durrell to start the year. I was excited about him, but it doesn't take quick to learn that, in my opinion, you can see when a coach knows what he's doing compared to when he doesn't know what he's doing. Sure. And I will also say this. I am not the kind of radio or podcast host or anything like that where I care so much about my takes and my ego and stuff like that to where I want to be right with all my takes. I would actually prefer it to be wrong with these takes. I would love to get on here sure. and say, boy, yeah. boy, was I wrong about Mel- or about See this team by well. the end of the year yes. putting up big-time stats and big-time numbers. Absolutely. And- if CU ends the season by beating Oregon State and then UCLA on the road and then Washington and Utah, it's like four wins in a row. They're to a bowl game. I will gladly come on here and say, I was an idiot. I was off. Carl Durrell knows what he's doing. Maybe they just need a little more time. I was wrong. I would love to say that. I just don't know if it's going to happen, and I don't feel great about it. So having said all that, Oregon beating the Buffs 52-29, but you don't have any time to wait. Oregon State coming to town this Saturday. Uh, we'll get to that after this day in Buffs history. Uh, Producer Ryan, we always uh, go to you for this fun uh, segment. What do we got for, th- well, this week actually we do, not this day because it's during the week of the podcast, so... Uh, this week in Buffs history, what do we got? Yeah, unfortunately, the dates don't always match right. up. So today we're going uh, November 4th, 1978. The Buffs hosted number one Oklahoma at the time, and that was actually the largest crowd uh, at the time in Colorado home history at 53,553. 
Unfortunately, the Buffs took took the L that day. Uh, Oklahoma, number one Oklahoma took them down, twenty eight to seven. Um, an interesting fact here too. I, I kind of wanted to see. Obviously, since that was the largest crowd at the time, and I'll have to do some research on this if if that still stands. Uh, but currently, Folsom Field only holds fifty thousand one hundred eighty three fans. Yeah, I never know how that works. It's like I feel like that always happens where they announce a couple hundred more. Then fits in the stadium. I don't know if that incorporates they're, like they're cooking the books or, a little bit. <laughs> they cook the books. Maybe they are, but that's a good one. Yeah, I, I no, mean, it's uh, it's it's really cool. And uh, actually, I, I had some uh, another uh, little tidbit oh, nice. about Folsom. Is uh, I'm sure a lot of fans saw it. Uh, next year, Folsom is actually getting a new sound system. Woo! Oh, really? That Finally, is so long so overdue. overdue. Yeah, it is. I know actually. The, the the PA system they have now is like a World War II megaphone. Yeah. It's just it's horrible. <laughs> so, but I, what brought that to mind too is is kind of you know you brought up looking cool to recruits and and, and as far as getting a, a good following, good recruits, that's a big deal to these kids, man. So it's just a great game day atmosphere, and just wanted to throw that in there. No, that's awesome. Uh, great this week in Buffs history. Uh, before we move on, do you guys have anything else with the Oregon game? Any other notes? Any other things to put out there? Not specific to the Oregon game. Um, so let's say, let me give some stats, then I'll come okay, back to you. Yeah. Uh, quick, uh, quick stats to finish things up. On the ground, Colorado did rush for 117. 30 total carries. Fontenot had 42 yards on eight. Deion Smith had 26 carries on seven attempts. And Broussard, 22, uh, 22 yards, I should say, on six carries. Uh, I think I said Deion Smith had 26 carries on seven attempts. Did I say that? <laughs> anyway that's not very Deion impressive Smith had 26 <laughs> yards on seven carries brennan lewis ran the ball 10 yards eight carries so uh yeah not great uh, stats in the running game receiving 224 yards obviously in the air 25 catches but no one with more than five brennan rice five catches 102 in the air uh brady russell three for 42 ty robinson did have that uh, one touchdown uh, it was a, a short touchdown catch but uh and then Fontenot, he had two catches for seven or uh, two catches for seven yards and, and the uh, touchdown as well. So nothing really jumping off the page. Just wanted to get some uh, stats there for the Buffs defensively. Uh, no one with more than five solo tackles. That's usually where you see Nate Lamb and shine, like yep. Ryan mentioned, flying around with those tackles. Uh, Quinn Perry led the team with nine total and five solo. Did we get any sacks? No sacks and one tackle behind the line of scrimmage. So yeah. yuck. Not great defensively. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to bring up um, offensively. I thought um, while they didn't run the ball as exceptionally well, I will say that I was pretty pleased with what I saw with uh, with the offensive line as far as in the screen game, those short passes, because to have success in the screen game, short passing, um, your offensive linemen need to be involved. Yeah, it's so, a low line, yeah. So um, I was really impressed with what I saw there. I thought Quinn Perry had a great game. You know, he 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 looks the part, filling in for Nate Lamb, and that is he looks the part. There's just those few minor things that, you know, get into a hole just a just a second quicker, half second quicker um, would have changed a lot. But um, And then Brendan Rice in the uh, receiving game as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm going to disagree with you in that linebacking core. I am so concerned about the future of this linebacking core. Well, and, no, and and I'm not that saying that I'm roster. not concerned either. I'm, I'm saying it, at that time to fill in for that guy, I think yeah, when Perry did sure. a pretty good job. And I think as a run-stopping, inside-the-tackle linebacker, Quinn Perry's solid. Yeah. You ask him to get outside the tackle box, you ask him to do anything in coverage, he looks so out of place. He, he to me, almost looks more like an edge rusher. Yeah. He's a well, big guy. And I think that's what Nate Lamb doesn't get enough credit for is how sure. good he is outside the hash marks and uh i just anyone behind him you know quim perry looked okay out there but 
I, I just man, they they were they were running Marvin Ham in there. Yeah. I, I saw Robert Barnes out there some, and just that to me was the weakness of the defense throughout the day. Sure. And it was just like they couldn't make those those you know short yardage stops in the running game. They they the linebackers were constantly out of position in coverage. I think that really really hurt them in this game. And you you don't have there is zero percent possibility Nate Lambman is back next year. Right, they yeah. have got to figure out some. Frankly. I don't know that we see Nate Landman again this year. I mean, it's a soft tissue injury, injury they're talking about. I think he has to think long and hard about his football future and making sure he doesn't put himself in a spot to jeopardize that. Uh, but the point I wanted to make was kind of building off of what you just meant, mentioned with uh, Brendan Rice. We're not talking nearly enough about how good Brendan Rice is. He is very different than LaVisca Chanel and his style of play, but he is yeah. on that level of talent. For he sure. is absolutely an NFL wide receiver. I have no doubt in my mind he gets drafted in the top two or three rounds. His name doesn't hurt him, certainly, but he lives up to that hype. The speed, they're utilizing him in, in the kick return game. He averaged 27 yards per kick return in this game. I mean, he is a playmaker. He's dynamic, and they, for the first time, really got the ball in his hands at the line of scrimmage and just let him make plays similar to what they used to have LaVisca Chenault do, do, and he responded so well. He had the one long run, 17 yards. He had 102 yards receiving. I mean, every time the ball was in his hands, most of those are yards after catch as well. Every time the ball is in his hands, he's making plays. And I just don't feel like as CU fans and around the country, he's being talked enough about how good he is. He could go out in the NFL this year, and I think he would be drafted you know, fairly high. But he puts together a strong season, maybe on an offense that can actually put up some consistent <laughs> numbers. And I really think he is going to do some big-time things. So I just want to throw a shout-out to Brendan Rice. He's not talked about enough. He's not getting enough uh, attention from this offense, and I think he hopefully can build off of this game moving forward. I'm glad you brought that up. That's really important, and I th I hope the coaching staff and others are letting him and his family know what he means and how big he's going to be next year because I don't want to put anything out there that's negative, but with the transfer portal becoming more and more a weapon in college football, especially for individuals, and Brendan's getting advice from his dad. His dad's getting advice from his ex-NFL you know, NFL teammates. I, I just I hope that they see the future, that CU football can turn around. But when we talk about coaching staff and we talk about changes potentially needed to be made, it's not just about week in, week out, the X's and O's and what the team looks like. It's about bigger things like keeping talent right. in Boulder. So, yeah. uh, I, you know, I don't, again, want to be negative with it, but that is something that comes to my mind when I think about that young, elite group of, uh, of players we have. I just, don't, I just hope that sure. behind the scenes... It's it's positive, you know, yeah. and it's easier said than done. But who knows? Well, and I got one one last thought on Oregon, and, and I'll and I'll be done with last week's game. We can move on. But um, if the Buffs fans have any um, any question about what the expectations should be at the University of Colorado as far as recruiting, as far as type of player, look at the University of Oregon. That's exactly what the, it should look like. They know how to recruit in the Pac-12. Speed kills. It's something that my, my dad even texted me during the game. He goes, we look really slow, don't we? And I said, no, Oregon's just super fast. Right. And that's what you need to have success. Well, and, and Oregon does a great job of getting people to go to the state. I mean, think about how many four- and five-star recruits come out of Oregon. There's there's few there are so yeah, that's a really good point. There's so many more four and five stars in Colorado, 
And Oregon's getting these kids, a lot of the time from the South, from the East Coast, who've never even been near the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> to go play at Eugene, Oregon? Never well, seen a pine I, tree. I believe uh, their, their star defensive end, Kayvon Thibodeau, I believe he was the number one was. overall recruit the year he came out. And you know what, you know what all, the, all those CU apologists who, oh, well, they have Phil Knight. Well, they have... I'm not saying CU needs to be exactly what Oregon is, yeah. but there's it's examples. There, exactly. There's blueprints. There's examples all over the country. I mean, look what happened when... Herm Edwards went to Arizona State. Look what happened when Kyle Whittingham. I mean, do you think you know, guys are dying to go to Cincinnati? That's exactly, exactly my <laughs> yeah. point. It doesn't matter. And you know what? You get a player in Boulder, Colorado with a winning team. There's a lot of people out there who would love this atmosphere, Absolutely. love this scene. See you had a full house. What game was it this year? Nearly all of them. I mean, it's been pretty much all of them. <laughs> I was at the, uh, it, it was the, uh, oh, the USC and Arizona game pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it was full. They, yeah. These are great fans. These are fans who want to go support their team. And, uh, oh, boy. All right, Oregon State coming up this week. You guys got anything? Can we move on? Can we turn the page? Yeah, let's go to the Beavers. All right. Um, actually, before we get to that, an his, a hysterical national story. We got to touch on this. Did you guys hear about the monkey? The Halloween monkey. <laughs> no. Both of you looking at me like you don't know what's going on. I don't on. know if this is going to be appropriate. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so hold on. Let me get the right uh, coach's name. All right, so Texas's <laughs> special teams coach, Jeff Banks. Oh, I think I did see this. Was hired from, uh, I think he was in Alabama. I'm not sure where he was before this, but he was hired to come coordinate special teams for Texas. Well, Jeff Banks, just to give you a little background on Jeff Banks, within the last couple of years, he divorced his wife. And he started dating a stripper. Hmm. Nothing. Hey, Interesting. I, hey, 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 in not. 2021, this is an uh, acceptable <laughs> thing to do. I'm just exactly. saying those things aren't related you just at don't all. Hear all the time. I'm going to spend less time with the family. I'm going to go, you know, hang out with uh, Ferrari. I'm sure, a more. he never spent any time with that stripper prior yeah. to. But he put your hands together for Lexus. <laughs> all right, so. Uh, uh, he's dating this stripper. I don't actually have her name, but this let's just is call definitely her. not appropriate we'll, for the show. We'll, we'll just call her the stripper. Um, so Jeff Banks is dating this woman who apparently has a pet monkey. <laughs> and I guess she used to use the, the, none of this matters, but I guess she used to use the monkey in like her act or whatever. I don't even know. If, I don't even know if you call it an act. Okay. So anyway, so routine Halloween comes and I apparently they're like at a party or they had a party at their house. Something like that. I'm, I'm fuzzy on a little bit of details. This is not a Texas podcast. But I guess one of the children who was at the party wandered into where the monkey was, and the monkey attacked this kid. So Jeff Banks, stripper girlfriend, her monkey attacked a child at a Halloween party, and I guess they had to like pry the monkey's like mouth open, and it was a whole scene. And apparently, she said that it was the kid's fault. She's like, "We had the monkey in a pen. He, the kid, wandered off in the pen. It was his fault." But anyway, if you think things are rough right now in Boulder with the buffs, so just think about the monkey. Jeff Banks monkey biting a kid on Halloween. See, this is why I don't have kids is because I'm sure I'd be this, the guy this, in this right here. No, I'd be the guy right there to be like, yeah, what did you think was going to happen when you were messing with the right. monkey, kid? I mean, you kind of had this coming, didn't you? But uh, something, the, the thing that stands out to me in the story is children at a Halloween party with monkeys and strippers. I just I mean, feel yeah. like something's not adding up. Like maybe someone was admitted to this party that probably hey, should not have been. You got to start them young, man. Oh, and apparently to this uh, New York Post article, former stripper. 
You know what? Oh, gosh. We got to be careful. Well, duh. How do you think she afforded the monkey? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I thought I'd lighten things up with that. If you want more, just check out Jeff Banks Monkey or just type in Texas Monkey and I'm sure it'll come up. Just be careful clicking through these links. You never know where it's (laughs) going to take you. If if you go to the second or third page of Google, you're not going to be satisfied. (laughs) Don't look at these things. If you ever go to the second page of Google for anything these days, (laughs) you've gone too far. You You need to be more specific with your search that's like dark web <laughs> status at this point all right uh let's get to yeah, next can week's we talk game. about that real yes. quick though when we were kids <laughs> when we, we were kids google was tight man yeah that yeah. was tight now it's like you type in the wrong thing and all of a sudden things are popping up that you did not intend to pop up you on google. be very careful with your google search what, what happened to safe searches man I, when, I don't know. When you're at work, you don't need your your something getting flagged popping up. I, I think mean, the world's a lot less safe these days. It's I the know. deep state, man. They're trying to keep tabs on That's you. Right. <laughs> they want to know what you're going to. Uh, Lee, Ryan will always go there on the show. Deep state. <laughs> All right, Oregon State, the Beavers. Uh, or we, we go from monkeys to beavers. Hey, there you go. We're keeping it. Uh, I guess it, they may have the same genome. How's that work, Ryan? You're the animal guy. Uh, I don't think genome mon- species. I, I don't think. Uh, I, I think they're both mammals. You, you go they're back both far. Mammals. They, they both have enough. hair, so, so they're pretty much the same. They're both mammals because they both give birth to live young. There we go. All right, that's how far we're going with the educational part of today's show. <laughs> Oregon State. They're having a much better year than a lot of people, myself yeah. included, thought was possible at the beginning of the year. Now, if I made my power ratings beginning of the season, I certainly would have had CU ahead of Oregon State, if not well ahead of Oregon State. But this year, the Beavers are 5-3, and three, only three losses coming at Purdue, at Washington State, and at Cal. So I guess, hey, if you're looking for a theme, all three losses on the road, going to Boulder this weekend, not an easy place to play. So that's, you know, I guess, a positive. But this team has looked very, very good. I always say this. You don't just want to look at wins and losses. You want to look at how teams are playing. And that's what we're doing with the Buffs, right? Uh, in their couple wins this year, it's like, yeah, but how are they really playing? And if CU's losing games where it's competitive, you know, at the end of the game it slips away, that's a totally different story. Oregon State is winning games, and they're looking very, very good doing it. Again, their three losses, first week of the season at Purdue. By the way, Purdue's a lot better than we thought. They lost 31-20, uh, excuse me, 30-21. Uh, and then a couple weeks ago, they lost at Washington State, 31-24. Last week, they lost at Cal, 39-25. So these are all pretty close games. It's not like they're getting blown out even on the road in those losses. Now, they did go on the road. Oregon State went on the road. They beat USC 45-27 on the road. Wow. I don't remember the USC-CU score. Maybe I can pull it up real quick. Uh, USC beat CU 37-14. So when you start looking at common opponents and how you know certain matchups will work in this game, not a ton in favor of CU, but you know what? We'll talk about how CU can maybe get a win this weekend. And as I said, you look at Colorado's schedule, this is seemingly the last winnable game. Now, the last uh, four games for CU, home against Oregon State, on the road against UCLA, home against Washington, on the road against Utah. So I think clearly this yeah, is the, the one only game other that, one I might put in there would be be Washington, but they are playing much they, better. And Washington's gotten uh, yeah. so much better recently. They, start, they really struggled to start out the year, but you're starting to see a team turn around there. I think up to four and four now. Okay, so let's talk about what uh, Oregon State does well and where CU is going to have to slow them down. 
Oregon State's a team who really wants to run the football. This year, 324 rush attempts, only 197 pass attempts. So it's all it, it's well above three to two. They want to to uh, run the football, and it's one specific guy who they want to uh, give the rock to. BJ Baylor. He has 131 attempts. Next guy on the team, Deshaun Fenwick, has 67. So they are pretty much a one running back system. They'll sprinkle Fenwick in occasionally, but you have to shut down B.J. Baylor. Easier said than done. He's averaging almost seven yards a carry this year. He's got 10 touchdowns. B.J. Baylor is going to be our focus on the ground. you got to shut him down. Do we know the status of Nate Landman? Has anyone seen anything come through? I tried looking it up today. Again, it's Tuesday, uh, November 2nd. Well, something I've noticed, especially with this this uh, Colorado staff, is they are vague, and they give you no idea. When they when – they, uh, Brian Howell, I believe, tweeted out on Saturday morning the inactives. I had no idea that a lot of those guys were even – going to even had a chance to miss the game Which, so hey let look for shows like this it doesn't help but i'll actually take that no yeah no, 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 you I, don't it's, yeah. it's obviously a great a great strategy uh, but yeah i just but a couple of things that stand out to me from last week not not so much this week so far but last week before the game that carl Durrell said is he mentioned nate landman's injury being a soft tissue injury not ever good you don't so, like I mean, soft it, tissue. so, so it, yeah we're that's that's what we're talking you know ligaments and muscles and things like that that don't recover real quickly and, and things that you can re-injure easily, especially with the guy coming off of a serious leg injury last year. And uh, again, I think you do have to keep in mind the the building injuries for Nate Landman. Coming off an Achilles injury last year, now this is an ankle. I don't know if it's the same leg or not. I, I, I can neither sure. conform, confirm nor deny. Um, but not many games left in his career and a guy that has NFL aspirations. And he may be really thinking, and I think he should be thinking long and hard of whether maybe the best thing for him is to shut it down, get healthy, so that come December into January, he can be training and working towards the NFL. Um, so that being said, this actually, this type of team, a run-heavy team, is actually a better thing in my mind for the Buffs than a pass happy team because of the the you know linebackers which you know the, the starters are, are Quinn Perry now and I, I think they were starting Marvin Ham I'm, I'm not sure they had quite a few guys they're out rotating there. a lot um, those guys are more run stopping linebackers they're they're better in run defense so I do think that plays better for the Buffs and and that's what it comes down to you talk about shutting down B J Baylor. That's what it's going to take. We have to see improvement from the linebacking core. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. And if CU is going to have success this game, it starts with the defensive side, right? You have to stop Oregon State from running the football and moving the football. By the way, uh, Oregon State's running back, B.J. Baylor, number four. So just in case you want to keep an eye on that, number four for Oregon State is their main guy. Have to shut him down. That's one of the main things. And you're right, Jared, this could play into the CU's hands you know, be more, I guess, uh, predictable heading into this one. Yeah, so just just quick and interesting, maybe uh, goes to show you how creative Oregon State may, may be during this game and have been all year. They've got 16 different guys with at least one rush, including a linebacker, a DB, and, a li- and almost all of their receivers. Jeez, what are they just emptying out the cupboard? <laughs> hey, who's healthy? <laughs> well, that, Get that, in there! That, that's what maybe, well, and, and with the linebacker, Coletto, it's not like they just handed it to him once. He's got 17 rushes for 50 yards. <laughs> but, but he's got to be too. like a fullback. Like a fullback. Yeah, yeah, like duels uh, as a fullback. Five, five touchdowns. For oh, yeah. yeah uh, so he's our short yardage guy. Yeah. So, But look, 
<laughs> what a sweet gig for that linebacker. Right? That's not bad at all. It's like the bus 2.0. <laughs> but that's the thing is, when your team has an identity like that, even as an Oregon... Imagine what it's like for an Oregon State fan right now. They haven't had this in years. They're sure. finally... You know, and so that's... I kind of... You know, that that's what I always relate things to with the buffs is... It's not just are you winning or losing. It's how do things feel? How does... How, what's your identity like on the field? Right now, I'm not sure the Buffs have yeah. an identity on offense or defense. No, I don't, do, I don't think so either. Unfortunately. Um, Deshaun Fenwick, like I mentioned, he's their uh, other uh, running back. Uh, not as many carries. He'll he'll get it occasionally, but uh, he is number five. So number four, number five, does the damage in Oregon State's backfield. Besides that, their, running, or their quarterback is the only other real effective rusher in the middle of the 20s. Uh, receiving, same thing, where they've got one guy who really stands out. Uh, Trayvon Bradford. You know, Trayvon Bradford has 27 catches. The next highest on their team is 14. They've got a bunch of guys with 14, 12, 12, 10, 10. So Trayvon Bradford is the main guy who they're going to go to on the outside. He is number... Uh, and I get these numbers out just so fans can you know, what, sure. know what to look for. Uh, he's number eight. So how do you guys see us shutting down uh, Bradford? Is that going to be Christian Gonzalez following him around the field? Last game, I think the last couple weeks, they put Gonzalez on the right side of the field compared to what we saw earlier. Yeah, so. and early on in the season, uh, they the Buffs were doing a lot of man coverage, man-to-man. And, and in fact, uh, a lot of their, you know, Christian Gonzalez, uh, Makai Blackman were on social media kind of bragging about, yeah, we don't care who we play against. We man up. We take him down. doesn't matter. That was not the case last week. There's a lot of zone coverage and a lot of different uh, looks and different coverages. And I think part of that is when you do have a team like Oregon, you want to keep your eyes on the quarterback. And and by kidding guys in zone coverage, you get more of that. Whereas when you're in man coverage, you're turning your back on that quarterback and he has the ability to run those RPOs, things like that, open up a lot more. So I do. I think you're going to see the Buffs get back to man coverage. And, um, you know, I don't know that Christian Gonzalez is the guy. I, I still honestly think for the Buffs, in their eyes, Makai Blackman is their number one quarterback, and he's played very well this year, too. I think we've talked a little bit about Christian Gonzalez and his performances throughout the year, but Makai Blackman's been been a solid player for them, and you know, Trevin Bradford's not a huge guy. He only stands at six foot, so it's not like he's going to tower over them. I think that's typically when you'd use the longer, bigger corner at Kirsten Gonzalez. So I don't know that you'll see somebody trailing him and following him. You might see both of those guys kind of going one-on-one, but I don't think you're going to see what we saw last week. I think you're going to see more man-to-man coverage because they believe they can shut down this receiving core with just one defender. Yeah, well, and listen, last week, uh, like you mentioned with with the zone, you could tell that uh, specifically Mark Perry and Makai Blackman were uncomfortable with it because when they would get guy, when Oregon would get guys in space, rather than running through the tackle, they'd stop, and that's when missed tackles come. And see, so you had a lot of missed tackles last week, specifically in the secondary. One thing that is good in terms of prepping for Oregon State. It's fairly certain that when they have a heavy set, when they got the running backs in, they're going to run the football, and when they spread things out, they're going to throw the football. Now, Jack Coletto, who you mentioned, Ryan, their linebacker, fullback, whatever, he has one catch on the air. Uh, they're run, <laughs> they're running backs, and also a, a receiving touchdown on that catch. So, dude is a touchdown machine. Yeah, exactly. You see Coletto come on the field, everybody stop him. Uh, their running backs have combined for five receptions this year. So. They don't pose a threat at all throwing out of the backfield. This is and look, this is these are the things where you start to add up on paper, the wins and losses, the stats. Does Oregon State look like a better team than Colorado? Yes, they do. But when you start looking at matchups and where CU does well, what Oregon State does well, and what each team would like to see and like to avoid seeing, 
you start to put pieces together, this could be where the buffs have advantages here or there. And again, is it the is it like some, you know, oh, we're going to definitely win now. We should be 10-point favorites because they don't throw out of the backfield? No. No, but it helps a team struggling seemingly in coaching and game planning when it's easier and, you know, you have a better idea of what the offense is going to do. Right. Well, and we're at the time of the year, too, where we have solid, proven, with numbers, tendencies. Yeah. Yeah, so. exactly. Uh, they're one running back who does catch it out of the backfield, Trey Lowe. He's got three times as many catches than any other back. So... Look for, and let me pull up his number real quick. Uh, Trey Lowe, their uh, third running back, is number 21. When you see 21 on the backfield, good chance he's catching it. If you see number, number four or five in the backfield, good chance they're going to run the football. Uh, special teams-wise, Oregon State, very efficient. Uh, their kicker not missed an extra point this year, and he's six of seven in terms of field goals. He uh, His only miss coming, I think, from 35 yards. Uh, in between 40 and 50, he's uh, one of one, so hadn't been tested a whole lot this year. But uh, good special teams. And then defensively, kind of similar to Nate Landman, they've got a player call, uh, named Avery Roberts. Avery Roberts, linebacker number 34. He is their do-it-all player. If you want to think of a comparison to Nate Landman, it's Avery Roberts for Oregon State. To put it uh, in terms of numbers, he's got 48 solo tackles this year. Next player on the team has 27, which is uh, Rez John Wright. So Avery Roberts, their best linebacker. He's going to disrupt a lot of what CU wants to do. So let's get to that. Let's talk to talk about uh, uh, Colorado's offense and how they might match up with CU's defense, unless... You guys have, have anything else for CU's defense before we kind of flip sides of the football? Anything we missed on defensive line? I know we mentioned deep backs a little bit, linebackers a little bit. Anything we missed before we go to Colorado's offense? I bring it up every week, but, you know, the pass rush, the pressure on the quarterback. It's, yeah. it's, unfortunately, we haven't seen it yet. I think um, unless they get into a position where they have to throw, probably won't need it. Well, but, and, uh, Unfortunately, Oregon State, really good offensive line, and that's proven on the ground how much they dictate on the ground. Right. But Chance Nolan, their quarterbacks, only been sacked eight times yeah, this season compared to Brennan Lewis, who's been sacked 23. <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. By the way, Brennan Lewis is, I think, fifth in the country for the amount of times he's been sacked this year, yeah. which is an offensive line thing, but it's also getting rid of the football. But either Absolutely. way... You know, it's not like we're playing a team that's susceptible to giving up sacks. Yeah, just a quick uh, kind of building off what you were talking about a moment ago about the predictability. Uh, it's a team that wants to rush, run the ball, and they're effective at it. They're leading the Pac-12 right now in rushing yards. Wow. Uh, and they are 11th in the Pac-12 in passing yards per game. So I, I think that that makes it a, a very obvious... You know, what the Buffs defense needs to do is shut down this running game and put it on the quarterback and make them beat you through the air. 100%. I, I definitely agree with that. Uh, before we get to uh, the other side of the football, Sam Neuer. Got to talk a little bit of Sam Neuer, right? Transfers away last Sammy. year. And uh, it'd be a different story if he's on our roster. I believe that. But uh, Sam Neuer. Uh, real quick on that. Yeah. Do you think Sam Neuer is a starting quarterback, at least at this point in the year? He may not have gone in as a starting quarterback, but do you think Sam Neuer is a starting quarterback right now if he stays with the Buffs? Uh, I think that depends on what the word is behind the scenes. If, if uh, Carl Durrell's feeling the pressure for his job, things like that. But all things equal, I certainly think we'd see Sam Neuer starting right now. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. think I think it would have taken probably uh, up to about the USC game where, where then the Buffs go, you know what? We, we got to do something. We got to make a move. I think that's definitely the case. Uh, Sam Neuer played a little bit earlier in the year, but you know he's sitting now. He's just behind Chance Nolan. Neuer's stats in the season: eleven to twenty-four, uh, two two touchdowns. Excuse me, uh, no touchdowns, two picks. So certainly didn't look great <laughs> for Oregon State. I think you want to rewind and uh, 
come back in Boulder and play. All right, let's talk about uh, CU's offense, now they stack up against Oregon State's defense. Uh, they grade a lot better stopping the run than stopping the pass. So unfortunately, you know, for Oregon State, that falls into what they want to do because for the buffs, I think it's clear at this point. Let me know if you guys agree or disagree. It should be clear. You've got to run the football, dictate the ground game, and hope that you can open things up on the back end for Brennan Lewis. This is not a team who's going to throw the football, get behind, come back and win. I mean... I was looking at snap counts. I mean, the, the, the games where CU's forced to throw, it's, things never go well. It's always when the buffs dictate pace, run the football, where they at least have a chance. So I think if you're going to beat Oregon State, you have to do that. But unfortunately, Oregon State does, you know, they do a pretty good job stopping the run, especially when you look at advanced metrics. So this is a big game for this offensive line. And I know you guys mentioned it, but we're going to learn a lot about a lot about the line, not necessarily against Oregon. We know how good they can be, but this week against Oregon State. And Ryan, you kind of pointed out earlier, while maybe statistically the running game wasn't great, I do feel like it was encouraging what you saw out of the O-line. There, there was some it things. It looked cohesive. It, yes. Now there were some penalties, some things like that that bugged yeah. me. Um, that's You make those moves because of that, right? Not not You don't expect to see a lot of penalties coming after you make that move. But there was some push. There was some creativity. There's some different things that they were doing. Uh, I know uh, the announcers a lot were talking about how simplified. They simplified things a little bit. Guys were thinking too much on what they had yep. to do. So I think this is an important game. The Buffs half that that O-line has to take a big step in that direction and and they really should own this line of scrimmage. Sure. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're more athletic. I absolutely think the Buffs should be and can do that. And uh, you know, you just, you know, to what you were saying Tyler, you got to get the ball in your running back's hands. They did a good job of that finding him out of the backfield last week. I think that's important to do that again this week to find ways to get the ball in your playmaker's hands. Yeah, and and I'm I'm going to go kind of the opposite direction from you guys is I liked what I saw with the game plan last week. I liked the electricity. I, I liked the the juice it kind of gave Brendan Lewis, Brendan Rice, um, Ty uh, Ty Robinson. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I liked it. So I, I say stick with the same game plan you had last week. Go fast. Uh, ball, out, ball out of Lewis's hands quickly. Get it in your uh, playmaker's hands and let him, let, him, let him go. And the big difference, too, this week, and it's going to be huge, is you're not going to, A, have to establish a rhythm in a somewhat new system. And you're not going to be down 21 in the first right. 10 minutes. And that's minutes. it right there. That is so big. This defense has to show better this week. And again, I know it I guess was Oregon. You don't think you're going to be down 21 in the first <laughs> seven yeah. minutes. Because never that, say never I, with this I, team. I, I think we all saw that last week. As soon as the buffs get down big, it's like, all right, better luck next week. I mean, you just knew it was over. So I yeah. think it's so important to come out, whether you start offensively or defensively, you got to win that first right. series, well, that that, that's, first exchange. With with some something that's already so fragile with this team being confidence you have to build confidence right from the first whistle i think you guys are right that if we do see what we saw last week it will be more successful because oregon is a lot faster than oregon state and i actually just pulled up some advanced metrics that make me feel a lot better about this matchup i i I had said that oregon state's good at you know stopping the run that's where they've made their money this year and that's right in terms of statistics but i love to look at pff college and see where they have these teams graded oregon state is a very below average defense, especially in terms of speed and tackling. So you get to the outside of the field. What do you need to, to be go. a good defense on the outside of the field? Speed and to tackle. Those are two of Oregon State's worst metrics defensively. So if Colorado can use the outside of the field, I don't care what Brendan Lewis's numbers look like. If he has 
400 yards with 398 after catch, or I guess that'd be impossible unless he don't want to much. Let's say, let's say three. <laughs> throwing it to himself. <laughs> let's say, let's say 385 after the catch. I'm okay with that. Who cares? And and from a strategic approach, that's not a bad thing no. right now. And that's the thing. I want to be careful about this because I when when I led the show with and what I get frustrated with sometimes is you know these writers for the Denver Post, whatever it is, they have to come up with a story and they want to you know come up with something that's not always negative. I get that, but what a lot of them will do is they'll go to a box score if it looks good. Hey, there's my story. Yeah, numbers are good. We're improving. It's so. My point there is numbers don't always lead us down the right path, okay? So just be careful with that. But having said this, I want the Buffs to win this weekend. I want the Buffs to Absolutely. show up and do what they need to do to win, and that is going to include a lot of yards after catch if they're going to be successful. That's where Oregon State struggled this year, and I think that's where Colorado's going to have some success. So getting these guys going out of the backfield, Deion Smith, Alex Fondo, of course, Jerry Broussard, and then these receivers not super far down the field. And I think, what do we see, a, a tight end screen last game with Brady Russell, a couple tunnel screens, things like that. That's what I want. More, more at the line of scrimmage. So Yeah, and I'll, I'll just build off that and say, as a coaching staff, I think that was the best coached game that the bus have had last week against yeah. Oregon. And that's, well, and that's, that's crazy that's to say. For, that's crazy to say, given the way that the game turned out. But their, their game plan was sound going into it. And I think it's it's the same thing. Know who you are. Know what you can do and what you're capable of as a team. But also know what team you're playing. Well, but that's in, that's what's important. Is You go on. Yeah. Is, is know that you are a faster, bigger, more athletic team. Than the Oregon State Beavers use that to your advantage. But that—that's you know—that's why I say that's why I was talking about air yards per attempt and average yards per attempt and going downfield is because against a team like Oregon, you that's important. To. You know, for people who are listening right now, going, "Wait, Tyler's being inconsistent." He was saying, "Why is Brendan Lewis throwing the football downfield?" And then for Oregon State, he's saying, "No, play close to the line of scrimmage." That's because Oregon State lends itself to success throwing close to the line of scrimmage. That's that's perfectly fine if you go up against a team where that's not what they do well. That's what you got to do. You just take what they give you. However, against Oregon, I don't think it was the right approach. But um, anyone uh, and any, let's say, uh, one offensive and one defensive key to the game? We do that? All right, I'll start off. Offensive key to the game. I'm not going running game. I'm going with our boy, Brendan Lewis. It's time he starts taking that next step. And when they do call on him, I don't care whether it's 10 pass attempts or 30 pass attempts, he's got to be efficient. And that's one thing we did see last week. I think it was 25 or 33, something like that. At least we're seeing the efficiency, and at least we're seeing Brennan throw the football. So I want to see that continue. I expect a heavy dose on the ground. We should see a heavy dose on the ground. But when they call on Lewis, he has to show he's improving, and he's got to have a, uh, an efficient day. And I, I will definitely agree with you there. To me, that is the key. But but for the sake of getting a few things out there, of I think what is important for the Buffs to do successfully, force feed the ball to Brendan Rice. I'm going to build off of that. This is the most talented player on your team. Get the rice cooking. Get there him 20 touches throughout the course of this game. The kick returns, I'd consider putting him out there on punt returns, which he's not doing right now, and get him running the ball. Get him in the screens. Get him going deep. Any way you can find, even if it's to the point where you use him so much in the first half, they start doubling him in the second half, that's going to open up other things for your offense. It's going to open the running game, so force feed the ball to Brendan and rice i like that yeah i think uh i don't think any player should lose his job to injury but i think uh dimitri stanley's not should shouldn't be on a punt return anymore i think uh brennan rice should go in there but mikey uh i'm, I'm gonna go uh, offense as well um uh, i'm gonna go with the big guys up front um you know keep keep doing things that make them have success none no no more of these five to seven step drops that we've seen 
their their strength is going to be moving forward. So get the ball out of Brett Lewis's hands. Let those guys run downfield and start plowing people. Don't make them sit back, create a pocket, and try to catch pass rushing. It's 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 just not what they do well. So keep the game plan. Get these uh, offensive linemen in a good spot. All right, let's go. Defensive key to the game. And, uh, boy, I know we were kind of all over the place today talking about linebackers, but I think this linebacker core is going to be so important. We saw the effects that a banged up, incomplete linebacker, you know, group, what they showed last week. It's going to be worse this week with a team who wants to run the football, wants to keep it on the ground, has the line to do so. So I'm looking at Jack Lamb, Robert Barnes, Carson Wells, Quinn Perry, all these linebackers playing different roles to have a nice game at that second level. Let your defensive line work. Don't make it too tough on the secondary. I'm looking for our linebackers to step up, likely in the absence of Nate Landman, and have a huge game. Jerry, what do you have for a defensive key? I'm going to go with the defensive backs because I do think you're going to see a lot of one-on-one, man-to-man coverage. If you can do that, it allows you to stack the box. It allows you to keep those linebackers inside, running downhill, and not having to focus so much on coverage. So I'm looking at Makai Blackman. I'm looking at Christian Gonzalez. Shut these guys down. Don't need that extra help. Allow your safety to just be up in the box. And so then you can focus with eight or nine guys on shutting down this running game. Ryan, what do you got? Uh, you got a defensive key to the game? I do. Um, I'm going to go with uh, playing a little bit cleaner. Um, play, playing playing as a as more of a unit. I know, you know, Nate Lamon is he's that nucleus, you know. He's he's and you could definitely tell last week, you know, he's going to have the green dot Nate Lamon has the green dot on his helmet. I believe Quinn Perry would have automatically had it put on his, which means he's the play caller. But you saw kind of just the the disconnect with everybody. Um, I want to see that cleaned up a little bit more and uh, with that as well, um, got to get rid of these offside calls. I think they had four in the first quarters. Go clean that up as well. Yeah, penalties have definitely been an issue last couple weeks. You've got to you got to fix that. All right, uh, score. Let's get some scores out there. This may be the last time I'm predicting the Buffs to win. Maybe not, actually. <laughs> Knowing me with the Washington game coming up, who knows? I may sneak a couple Buffs win predictions in there. Uh, I'm going to go uh, 24-21. I think this is a close game. I think both teams find success doing what they want to do. I think this is maybe a more predictable game this season. Oregon State probably gets their yards a little bit on the ground. Hopefully Colorado finds uh, these receivers and running backs out of the backfield and can do some damage that we're starting to see more and more. Uh, and I think that CU gets a, a close win, three-point win at home. What do you think, Jared? You know, I'll be honest. Uh, coming into this, I felt pretty definitively that, you know, I, I just I don't, I don't see it from the buffs. I just I think Oregon State is a better team than people give them credit for, and I think they're a team moving in the right direction. I think it's a, it's a direction that CU can hope to be in, in this time next year. Uh, as we've gone through the show, I'm not going to lie, I've gotten a little more optimistic. I think you guys <laughs> Yeah, that happens every single week. <laughs> but I'm going to stay true to how I felt coming into this. I think it's a close game. I think the Buffs play a solid game. I think the defense will look better than what we saw last week. And, and, I, and I hope to see Brendan Lewis get this offense going again this week. But I, I'm going to say it's going to stay fairly low scoring again. I'm going to go a close loss 21-20 for the Buffs. Ryan, what do you got for score? Uh, yeah, we should do these uh, score predictions before we, we talk should do about it before the and after. Yeah. See how they change. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a little scientific experiment <laughs> before we talk about the Buffs for an hour. Um, you know, I'm actually I'm actually going to go a little bit higher. I, I think we're going to see a pretty high scoring offensive game. Um, I, I wasn't on the Beavers. 
and this may change in the throughout the week, but I'm going to go a high scoring game. I'm going to go 38, 35, and I'm going with the Buffs just because we're at Folsom. I would love that. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of faith in what we've seen from the offense this year, put up 38 points. But if there is a game, they can do that again. Oregon State ranks very, very high in most offensive categories. Very low in a lot of defensive categories. I think what exactly. they've done well this this year, they've scored, and then when they've gotten beaten, they've allowed teams to keep up with them. So that's what CU, I think, needs to do. You can maybe be honest something with that score, but we'll see. Tyler, you talked a lot this season about perception and expectation, and I just remember some of these games with CU when, when Mike McIntyre was the coach. These 51-49, you know, <laughs> the, the 42-38, yeah. and the number of times I came like, if we could just play defense, I don't even care. I don't even like these high-scoring games. I want to see a 21-20 <laughs> game. And yeah. now that's all the buffs are putting out. It's like, God, if we could just put up 50 if we could points just, one yeah, time. Exactly. I promise. Well, once CU starts winning, none of that's going to matter. I absolutely guarantee it. So, all right, once again, Oregon State in full in uh, Folsom Field, 5 o'clock this Saturday. Let's go, Buffs. Get back on the winning record. We'll talk to you guys next week, Buffs Nation Podcast.